Hello, welcome back to another edition of the My Two Cents Podcast. I am your host, G2, and today I am here to talk to you guys about AEW Full Gear 2023. This is my review of the event that just happened. Um, AEW, again, they had another pay-per-view that was able to hit it out the ballpark, and I'm just going to straight up just start off with it. They will have their pre-show matches. Uh, the first pre-show match will be for the Ring of Honor World Championship. You have Eddie Kingston versus Jay Lethal. Eddie Kingston will retain said championship thanks to Ortiz. When Ortiz would come out and he would hit Sanjay Dutt with the guitar that both Eddie Kingston and Jay Lethal were trying to reach for. And once Jay Lethal saw Ortiz do that to Sanjay, Jay would take his eye off the prize. And this allowed Eddie Kingston to hit Jay Lethal with the spinning backfist to beat Jay Lethal to retain the Ring of Honor World Championship. Now, after this, we would get Claudio Castagnoli going against Buddy Murphy. Claudio would beat Buddy Murphy. After the match, he tries to extend his hand out to Buddy to shake it. Buddy doesn't shake it. He just walks off and brushes Claudio off. So it still seems that we're going to still be having some Blackpool Combat Club and at least some House of Black Business still in occurring on Dynamite or Rampage, whenever they want to get back to that, but that's where I think we're going with that one. And the final match for the pre-show, you will have the Ring of Honor tag titles being defended. We will have MJF and Samoa Joe going against the Guns. Now, MJF and Samoa Joe would win and retain the Ring of Honor tag titles by submission. When Samoa Joe will lock in the Coquina Clutch, I believe it was on Colton Gunn, and Colton would tap out. Now, the big thing that came out of this match was towards the end of the match, Adam Cole, he would make his surprise uh, return. He comes down to the ring in crutches. He's still on crutch. He still has a boot on his ankle. He has a beard beard now. And MJF would be just so surprised to see his best friend. And once MJF and Samojo would retain the tag titles, uh, Samojo would get in MJF's face because, remember, for Samoa Joe to be MJF's tag partner, MJF has to give Samoa Joe a future AEW World Championship rematch from the match that they had at Grand Slam. So you see MJF and Samoa Joe shake hands, seal the deal so that match is locked in somewhere down the line. Now, once Samoa Joe would leave the ring, the guns would attack MJF from behind, and the only thing Adam Cole could do was watch from the side because, again, he's on crutches. He can't do nothing. So Adam will have to watch as the guns beat up on MJF. They would start attacking MJF's right leg. They would beat on his leg with a chair, then put his leg inside of a chair, then jump off and like stomp on it. So the pre-show would end with uh, medics coming down to grab MJF up, put him on the stretcher, stretcher him out, put him on the back of the ambulance. But once MJF is on the ambulance or inside the ambulance, if you will, you would see Adam Cole like outside of the ambulance. MJF would start yelling to Adam and he would tell Adam, don't let them take the AEW world title away from me. Don't let them. You got to promise me. Promise me. Adam Cole will say, I promise you. So that is the biggest story coming into full gear. How is MJF and how is Adam Cole going to keep the title technically around MJF's waist because MJF isn't here to defend it or will he be back to defend the title in the main event of full gear so that's the big looming question that we would get and i'm gonna get into that in a minute because i want to start off with the first match to happen at full gear the official pay-per-view you will have the six-man 
tag match of Adam Copeland, Sting, and Darby going against the Patriarchy, which is the TNT champion, Christian Cage, Nick Wayne, and Luchasaurus. First thing I want to start off with is the special entrances that we have here. Christian Cage, I'll say it again, he really wants to prove that he is the father figure of AEW because he had the children choir sing him out to his uh, entrance. They would hum his song on the microphones, and I just found that hilarious. People on Twitter found that hilarious. Um, so that was Christian's and his group special entrance. Adam Copeland, Sting, and Darby, they would have a special entrance where you would see the arena go dark, and then you would see a spotlight hit the stage. You would see a bat on the spotlight, then you would see another bat siding right next to it, and then you would see another bat going in the middle, so you see three black metal bats, and once the lights pop back, pop back on, Adam Copeland's music would hit, and you would see Adam Copeland with a Darby Sting face paint on, like for the half of his face, you see Sting and Darby with Edge or Adam Copeland style of jacket ring attire, and it just seems that they're one like concisive group here to take out uh, the patriarchy, and again, I liked that we got to see this Adam, Adam Sting, and Darby. Um, Adam, he finally got nice ring gear. It looked like his ring gear that he wore in WWE, so I liked that he was able to bring that back. I hated the ring attire that he wore when he went against Luchasaurus, so I was happy that you I got to see that, or at least Adam was able to bring his attire here. Again, I'm a wrestling attire type guy. Their gear always looks great. So when I see someone with bad gear, I'm always like, God, why? Why? But Adam Copeland, he was able to bring it here. Anyway, getting to the match. Uh, Adam Copeland, Sting, and Darby, they will win the match by pinfall when Adam would spear Luchasaurus, and then Darby would hit a coffin drop, and Adam would cover Luchasaurus for the win. The reason how this happened was when Christian Cage... Uh, was going to hit Adam with the TNT title because Luchasaurus was holding Adam up. Christian would run over. Adam would move out of the way. Christian would accidentally hit Luchasaurus with the TNT championship. And Adam Copeland would try to get his hands on Christian. Christian would run out of the ring and run into the audience because he doesn't want to actually get in touch with Adam. Or better yet, he doesn't want Adam to actually touch him because Christian Cage was literally avoiding Adam Copeland throughout the whole match. Anytime that Adam tried to get at Christian, Christian would just run away or would have Nick Wayne or Luchasaurus handle Adam. The only time you actually got to see those two interact with each other was when Christian was the one taking a cheap shot at Adam here. Um, this match here was based on Sting and Darby, Adam Copeland all working as a team, but also the big story is Adam Copeland, Christian, and as I said before, Adam tried to get his hand on Christian, which never uh, came to pass. Another big spot that happened in this match was Ric Flair. He tried to get involved when Christian Cage was outside of the ring, taunting Rick. Rick would get in Christian's face. You see Rick punch Christian, chop him, and the referee seeing all of this and letting this all happen. Christian Cage would a low blow Ric Flair, and this would take Ric Flair out. So that's a big spot in this, but everything else was the usual six-man tag. Um, people were still wondering how Darby's able to move because Darby got chokeslammed outside of the ring and onto an apron. So that was Darby's like big bump that he took of the night. But other than that, solid six-man matchup. After the match, you would see Sting hug his son in the front row. Darby would tell the audience that this is Sting's last time wrestling in California. So to get on their feet and show Sting 
uh, the respect that he deserves. Even though they were cheering for him, Darby just wanted them to cheer more for Sting. So you will see everyone give Sting a standing ovation. So that was a good way for Sting to go out in California. Now, next matchup, we've had the AEW International Championship. We have the champion, Orange Cassidy, going against the challenger, John Moxley. Orange Cassidy would retain his championship by pinfall, knocking Mox's head into the exposed turnbuckle twice, hitting him with six orange punches, and then finishing him off with the beach break for the win. This match was the epitome of John Moxley being the legit final boss of AEW. And what I mean by that is, John Moxley in this match at the beginning was dominating Ars Cassidy. Ars Cassidy would try his best to like beat up on Mox, but Moxley would just eat it and he would just go and hit Ars Cassidy harder and harder. And Ars Cassidy would just look perplexed because he's trying to do everything he can to take John down and beat him down, but he just can't do it because Moxley is Mox. He's just a different type of guy. So you see Ars Cassidy start getting grimy like John Moxley. Whenever John Moxley would bite him, Arch Cassidy would bite him. Whenever uh, John Moxley would scratch, Arch Cassidy would scratch. So you see John Moxley and Arch Cassidy is going tip for tap, but more Arch Cassidy because Orange is not not known to be a brawler. While John Moxley is, so Arch Cassidy had to tweak his mindset to get into the mind of John Moxley and try to do everything he can to beat John Moxley. And once he starts hitting John with the orange punches, as I said before, John Moxley, he would just eat them. He hits him with one. John Moxley eats it. Second one, now you start seeing John Moxley stumble a little bit, but he's still on his feet. Third one, he drops down, but then he gets right back up. Then you see Orange Cassidy hit him with four, five, six. Then the breach break. And again, that is what it takes to beat John Moxley. John Moxley is that guy that you have to do all these things. Like, you got to do mad multiple things to just, just try to put him down. And John Moxley is literally just like the epitome of a hard, like, boss that you play in a video game. Anything that you try to do to him, he will eat it and just come back for more. But you got to try everything. Mad combos just to put him down. And that's the way Orange Cassidy did to John Moxley here. So, Orange Cassidy... Beats John Moxley, and now the tally is one and one. So expect a rubber match somewhere down the line. Probably not somewhere close, but somewhere down the line. Now, next thing up was the whole AEW World Championship situation. What are we going to do? Is MGF going to make it back in time? Well, we will get our answer. Tony Schiavone, he'll be on the stage with the referee. He will call Jay White out. Jay White will come out with the AEW World title. Jay White so giddy because he feels that they're going to give him the title because he feels that MGF isn't going to be able to come back in time and defend the championship. So he tells Tony Giovanni to talk. And Tony Giovanni would say that medical staff and personnel has have MGF go to the hospital and they see that MGF is not going to be able to make it back to defend his AEW World title. So they have to cancel the championship match. And as they're about to crown Jay White, the AEW World Champion, Adam Cole will come out. Adam Cole will come out, and he would tell Jay White that there's no way in hell that Jay White is going to just take that AEW World Championship away from Max. I made a promise, and you're not going to take that title. And Adam Cole will volunteer himself to face Jay White in the main event. Jay White will be so cocky and say, okay, we can do that. That's fine. So in the main event, we will have... Adam Cole going against Jay White for the AEW World Championship. 
Now, after that announcement, we get to our third match of the night, and it is for the AEW Women's Championship. We have the champion Hukaru Shida going against timeless Tony Storm with Luther in Tony Storm's corner. Tony Storm would win the championship to become a three-time AEW Women's Champion when she would use a metal plate and slide it in the backside of her tights and then hit Shida with the hip attack in the corner to win and beat Shida. Now, for me, I was like, okay, this match is what it is. It's cool, it's fine, whatever. But when I saw the metal plate go like the backside of Tony Storm's tights and she used it to win the match, I was like, okay. So Sheeta has been a transitional champion not once but twice now. I don't I don't like it. I understand why they give it to Tony Storm because they put a lot of time. I'm not gonna say they put a lot of time. Let me make that perfectly clear. They are giving Tony Storm a lot of time on camera because Tony Storm has come up with this character of timeless Tony Storm being the 1940s, 50 actress type uh, alter ego of Tony here. And the fans are loving it. And apparently people backstage are loving it. People on the internet are loving this. So they give Tony Storm a lot of time on TV. So why not give her the AEW Women's Championship? Again, I'm not opposed to Tony winning but I'm opposed to whenever you got someone like Karashita who just won it from Soraya, I would like to say probably, what, a month ago? And it just feels that Hukarashita, every time she gets the championship, is always being a transitional champion. She beats Nyla Rose during the pandemic. She becomes the champion throughout that whole pandemic era until the first time they have to have... Fans back in attendance, that's AEW Double or Nothing 2021. She loses to Britt Baker. Years go by. Earlier this year, she ends up winning it from, uh, no, 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 no. it wasn't Soraya, from Tony Storm. And then they go into All In, and then she drops it at All In to Soraya. Then some time goes by, and then she beats Soraya for it, and then like a month later, she loses it to Tony here. I just don't like the idea that we just use Sheeta as the good hand. Sheeta asked the person that, hey, we have nobody on record or anybody that we know that the fans actually have some goodwill towards. We'll just put Sheeta in and she'll have a good match. She'll be the champion for that short period of time that we need her to until we have someone else. And then we pop the belt onto her. I don't like that. I don't like that for Sheeta because Sheeta carried the women's division as champion during the pandemic era. And she never got a respectful championship reign in front of the fans that never happened for Sheeta. I just want that to happen for her instead of always being a transitional champion so again Tony winning I don't have a problem problem with it I just have a problem with Sheeta being a transitional champion every single time that's just my personal problem with that but again Tony Storm won I understand because of the character what she's doing they give her time on tv cool Hopefully, this leads on to something bigger for Sheeta. Sheeta could probably go after the TBS title next, maybe. Who knows? But Tony Storm's champion. We'll have to see where she goes from here with that. But also, Mariah May, her understudy, did come out after the match to give Tony some flowers. So we could see Tony Storm, Mariah May do some things, probably backstage or even in the ring from time to time on this upcoming Dynamite Rampage collision. We'll have to wait and see. But that's where we're at here with the AEW Women's Championship. Next up, we have the Fatal 4-Way match for the AEW Tag Team Championships. We have LFI going against FTR, going against Kings of the Black Throne, going against champions Ricky Starks and Big Bill. 
Ricky Starks and Bill would retain their championships when Ricky will unclip the championships. Now, this was a legit crash course in teams that aren't the usual high flyers, but making use of ladders in a ladder match. So don't expect a lot of high flying here, even though there was like some at the beginning of the match where you see uh, Malachi Black hit a moonsault onto everybody outside of the ring. Um, I want to say Ricky Starks, he jumped onto the pile outside. You saw, I want to say it was one of the members of FTR suplexing, I believe it was probably was who? Roosh onto the people outside. I mean, you had that here, but everything else was just nothing but just crash course. You had people using ladders left and right. Uh, you had Brody King and Big Bill going at one another, and the whole crowd was chanting, meet, 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 because those are the two biggest guys in the match. Uh, you had Brody King hitting Drillisico with a Gonzo bomb on a ladder that was like stabled from the ring apron to the crowd barrier. So once he hits with the Gonzo bomb, you see the ladder kind of flip over a little bit and they got a holy crap moment from the fans here. You had Cash hit Malachi Black with a pile driver on a ladder. So you had that. You had everybody just pulling out everything that they could to make this ladder match something. And I feel that this ladder match was something. Now, if they had more high flyers, which a ladder match usually would have, I think people would have placed this ladder match a lot more higher, but it was still a good ladder match. Again, this was a crash course, I feel, for if you're not used to, or if you don't have uh, teams that have high flyers in it, this is how you can make a ladder match worth interesting and make people pay attention, because as I said before, everybody in this match was able to get their crap off. Everybody was able to make the fans connect with them, make the fans cheer for them, make the fans at least get on their side. And everybody played their part. So I like this ladder match. Um, Ricky Starks and Big Bill retaining the tag team titles. Again, I like that because I don't want Ricky Starks and Big Bill just to be a transitional uh, champions. I hope they get some time with the tag team titles. Hope they put time into Ricky Starks and Big Bill as Ricky needs that time because he is a star. And he hasn't been, well, I'm not going to say hasn't been presented, but all the setbacks that happened in the summer with the punk situation being fired and all those plans getting changed to him now going against Brian Danielson at that time. All that kind of stuff kind of made everything seem wonky and crazy for Ricky and Big Bill from the beginning of this year. They had nothing for him. He was teaming up with Lee Moriarty and then that went nowhere and now he's with Ricky and now it seems that they're doing something now that they're tag champions. I just want those two guys to uh, be given the opportunities to shine as credible stars because they are. So again, I'm happy that they retain the tag team titles. And yeah, all the other teams, LFI, FTR, Kings of the Black Throne, they can go off and do something else. So yeah. Now next up, triple threat match for the TBS championship. We have the champion Chris Statlander going against Julia Hart, going against Sky Blue. We will have a new TBS champion in Julia Hart when Chris Statlander would hit Sky Blue with Saturday Night Fever, and Julia Hart would run over, hit Chris Statlander with a running clothesline, then steal the pin on Sky Blue to win the TBS championship. So House of Black now has their first official, no, not first, but Julia Hart has her first official championship. Um, she's now the TBS champion. Good move for them. I think everybody kind of felt that they were going to lean over to Julia Hart the way that this story was going. Um, this triple threat match was how you think it would. Uh, Chris Statlander being the bigger 
being the bigger adversary of Julia and Sky, Julia and Sky would have to team up to go after Chris, but Chris was just a powerhouse. She would double clothesline them. She would German suplex them. She would just being the powerhouse that she was. Julia Hart and Sky, they would get at Chris Statlander at moments and actually eliminate her and then go after each other. And once one would dip out, Chris would come back in and face the other. So that's how this triple threat match went. Um, as I said, everybody played their parts here. Chris Statlander being the powerhouse, Julia Hart being the wicked uh, character that she is now. And Sky Blue, she's now evolved into stop being the girl next door, baseball cap to the side, or backwards tomboyish girl. She's now eliminated that character. She's fully evolved into this darker version of Sky Blue. So hopefully we get more out of that. I did like how Sky Blue was able to hit the code blue on Julia, not Julia, but Chris Statlander, and made it seem that she was winning the title once she did hit it, but Chris Statlander was able to kick out, and that has Sky freaking out. Um, Chris Statlander, she did a good job as TBS champion. She beat Jade at Double or Nothing. She had her match with Jade and gave Jade a great match on her way out. She had open challenges for the TBS championship, but with now her losing that title, I can see her going after Julia for a rematch, or she'll probably move her way over to the AEW Women's Championship to go after Tony or give that some time and let that marinate. But Chris Statlander, she did a good job as TBS champion, but now it's time for Julia Hart to be TBS champion and see what she does with it as she has the House of Black as her backup. So again, we'll see where that's going, and maybe Chris Statlander and Sky Blue, they can just battle it out and get this whole rivalry for what these two got over with. That's just a couple of things that I'm thinking of. Now, next up, we have, in my personal opinion, and I'm saying it now, and I said it on Twitter as well. My match of the night, and also my match of the year for AEW. The Texas Death Match, Adam Hangman Page going against Swerve Strickland. Swerve Strickland would win the match after Hangman Page couldn't get to his feet by the count of 10. After Swerve would hit Hangman in the back of the head with a cinder block, and then Hangman would get up, Swerve would grab a chain, and wrap it around Hangman's neck and start hanging him with said chain until Hangman would pass out and then Swerve would let go of the chain and the referee starts doing the count and that's whenever Hangman couldn't get up by the count of 10 and Swerve, he would drop to the floor because Hangman and Swerve beat the ever-loving crap out of each other. You hear me? These two guys went to war, they went to hell and they... Just straight up, just I feel that they enjoyed putting each other through hell. The weapons that were used in this match were duct tape, a stapler, chairs, a barbed wire chair, barbed wire, as I said, a cinder block, a uh, broken glass, barbed wired board, a regular table, and as I said, chain. Um, Hangman Page in this match, he was a complete madman. Hangman Page. To let me show you how Heyman Page was a complete madman. Heyman Page didn't even let Swerve finish his entrance as Swerve was in the ring taking his jacket off. Hangman would run down to the ring and start going after Swerve. So Heyman didn't do his entrance. And as soon as he starts beating up on Swerve, he hits Swerve with a buckshot Larry and 
you start seeing the count happen. Swerve will get to his feet. And then you see Hangman go outside, get duct tape, duct tape Swerve's hands together, get the stapler, start stapling Swerve's uh, chest, grab a chair, pop Swerve in the head with a chair, and you start seeing Swerve start bleeding. And I mean, it starts dripping down like a faucet. Hangman Page is such a madman that he went underneath Swerve's head and starts drinking Swerve's own blood. I mean, he has Swerve's blood literally dropping out of Swerve's head, going into Hangman's mouth. And Hangman just allows it to go in, and then he spits it up in the air, and it was a sick visual. Now, let's not get it twisted. Uh, Swerve, he would get out of the duct tape thanks to Prince Nana cutting him out. Uh, Swerve would start getting on his villain uh, mentality where Hangman would staple Swerve in the chest as Swerve's now unduct taped. And Swerve would just get up and just look at Hangman like he's unfazed by it. He'll pop Hangman in the head. He'll take the stapler and then he would just start stapling his own chest to show everyone that he's truly lost his ever-loving mind. And Swerve did in this match. Swerve, as I said, Swerve and Heyman, they put each other through hell. Towards the end, you start seeing uh, Heyman bleeding, Swerve bleeding, both of them just bleeding. Um, Brian Cage, he comes out there to help Swerve, and he starts beating up on Heyman Page. He does that. Swerve is down. Brian Cage is beating up on Hangman. Brian Cage leaves the ring. He grabs the table. He sets it up outside of the ring. He goes back into the ring. Hangman will take care of Brian Cage there. Prince Nana will get on the ring apron. Hangman will go after Nana. Hangman grabs Nana by his shirt. And Nana is pleading with Hangman not to do anything to him. And he even does the whole little swerve dance. And Hangman will let go of Nana. Nana will get like a breath of relief. But Heyman would quickly grab Nana up, hit him with uh, Deadeye off the ring apron through the table. And that's how Nana's done with this. And again, as I said, Swerve Heyman put each other through absolute hell. Um, I would highly, and I truly mean this, highly recommend watching the Texas Deathmatch. Now, if you do not like blood and you are probably even squeamish a little, you don't want to watch the Texas Deathmatch. Don't do that to yourself. But if you are cool with that, go and watch it because I'm telling you, even if you never watched CZW, which was Combat Zone Wrestling, which was like the step above ECW, this match will kind of give you that feeling with the way that Swerve was bleeding and Heyman letting the blood go into his mouth and all that. And then the cinder block and then the uh, barbed wire chair, the barbed wire, the broken glass. This match was the feels. To me, this was AEW's uh, Gunther and Sheamus Clash of the Castle match. How everybody like raved and like gave Sheamus and Gunther like all the stars in the world, all the accolades in the world for their match they had at Clash of the Castle. I feel that everybody is going to give this match that exact same uh, status. People are already saying that's one of the best matches that AEW has ever produced. That's one of the best matches in AEW's history. That's one of the best matches of the year. Some people are even saying that's AEW's best match of said year. And they had, remember, they had MGF going against Brian Danielson. They had Will Osprey going against Kenny Omega. They had multiple trios matches here as well. They've had multiple things 
but people are saying this one in particular is they're going to be their match of the year. And I'm saying that for me. This match right here is going to be the match of the year for me. So we'll still got to wait and see if my mind does change because we still got one more pay-per-view for AEW, and that's World's End in December. But we'll wait and see by that. But again, go and watch the Texas Death Match if you are not squeamish. I would implore you because I think you will enjoy yourself. Now, the next matchup will be a tag team matchup. It is the Golden Jets, which is Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho going against the Young Bucks. And the stipulation for this was that if the Golden Jets would win, they would grab the Young Bucks AEW number one contenders for the tag team title opportunity that they won at Russell Dream last month. And if the Young Bucks win, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho, they will have to disband. They will never team ever again. So, this match will happen. Don Callis is on commentary. He's rooting for the Bucks because he hates Kenny and he hates uh, Jericho. But that doesn't happen. The Golden Jets would win the match by pinfall when Kenny Omega would hit Matt Jackson with the one-winged angel. Now, here's the deal with this. Um, Kenny Omega, at the beginning of this match, he would try to be the peacemaker whenever you see Matt and Nick go after Chris Jericho so much because the Young Bucks are kind of jealous that Chris is like teaming with Kenny. That's the reason why this whole match technically happened. And you will see the Bucks go after like Jericho. Kenny will step in and try to like be the like guy to get the Bucks off of Jericho. Say, hey, relax. We're in a regular standard match. You ain't got to be that serious. Same thing whenever Jericho is going against one of the Bucks and he has them in like their corner and starts chomping the devil out of them. Kenny would step in and be like, hey, relax. We're in a match. This ain't that serious. Calm it down. So, at the beginning of this match, you will see Kenny try to be the peacemaker. Jericho and the Bucks, they're not trying to hear that. They're trying to demolish the other. And towards the end of the match, as everything's becoming so serious, as the Bucks are going after Jericho's arm that he, like, performs the Judas effect with, um, the referee would be not in one of their sights, and you will see Nick Jackson kick Chris Jericho in the nuts. And Kenny would go over to Nick and ask him, what are you doing? What? Why are you? Why? And you see when Kenny turns around, Matt Jackson would kick Kenny in the nuts. So the Young Bucks are playing into the whole childish uh, attitude that Kenny Omega is hating. And the Bucks would try to beat Jericho with the walls of Jericho. But Jericho doesn't tap. He reverses out of it. Kenny Omega, then he will start turning up the knob and start being more serious. He gets tagged in. He starts hitting blitzes. He starts hitting uh, Matt and Nick with V-triggers, multiple snap uh, dragon suplexes. Kenny would just start going off, and Kenny is turning into his old self, start taking things more serious and doing whatever he has to do to him, but not cheating mentality. And there was a moment where you would see Nick Jackson on the second rope, head dangling. Chris Jericho on the opposite side of the ring, head dangling in the middle. And Kenny's at this moment where either he can attack Nick Jackson or he could turn on Chris Jericho and attack Chris Jericho in a side back with the Bucks. And at first, you see Chris Jericho like leaning on the ropes. Kenny would point his finger up in the air and he points over to Jericho's head. And he looks like he's about to do the V-trigger to Jericho. He runs off the rope. He runs over to Jericho. Then he runs off the rope there. And then he runs over to Nick. And then hits Nick with the V-trigger. 
and Kenny Omega has sided with Chris Jericho. So, as I said, Jericho and Kenny Omega, they win. They're now the new uh, number one contender for the AEW Tag Team Championships. After the match, the Young Bucks, they would throw a fit. They would start damaging the stuff outside of the ring, around the barricade. Again, acting like children the same way that Kenny Omega said that he hated uh, seeing the Bucks act like children. And you just see the Bucks throwing a straight-up tantrum. Now, I thought Don Callis was going to interfere and have the Bucks uh, join the Don Callis family. But I think, that, as I said before in my predictions... I think they're going to go this route where you see Kenny and Jericho go against the tag champions. And in this case, it's going to be Ricky Starks and Big Bill. They're close to winning the tag team titles. The Bucks are going to cost Jericho and Omega the shots at the tag team titles, the opportunity to win them. And they're going to align themselves with the Don Callis family. Because Don, on commentary, you heard how he talked about Kenny saying that Kenny turned his back on his own friends, on his own family to join with that narcissist Chris Jericho. So I think that the Bucks are probably going to be swayed by Don Callis and they're going to join the Don Callis family. So we'll see what happens there. But the Golden Jets are now your new number one contenders for the AEW Tag Team Championships. And also we would get the signing of Will Ospreay. Will Ospreay is now part of AEW. He would come out, he would sign his contract, but he will let everyone know that he has to finish things up with New Japan first because New Japan has granted him this opportunity to sign with AEW even before his contract's over with. So the only thing Osprey has to do is fulfill out his obligations to New Japan. Then he will be here in AEW full-time for everyone to enjoy. So the biggest signee for AEW at Full Gear was Will Ospreay. So congrats to Will Ospreay. Happy for him to be along on the AEW team. But also, it's not like New Japan's missing Will Ospreay because AEW and New Japan, they have such a great relationship that if they want Will Ospreay back to do something, I'm pretty sure Tony Khan won't have a problem with that. You'll just be having a talent uh, swap in exchange for another sad guy. So, again, I don't think Will Ospreay missing anything. He's going to AEW. He's more on the state side now, doing state stuff on television. And he'll still be able to fly back to, I believe, England, where he's living. And uh, he'll still be able to go to New Japan whenever New Japan wants to have him there and they have a deal with Tony. So, again, Will Ospreay, he just decided just to show up on TV more. That's about it. Now, next up, we'll get to our main event, the AEW World Championship match. Adam Cole going against Jay White. Jay White would come down with the, with the Bullet Club gold members, the guns. Adam Cole would come down by himself. You would get the bell ringing, and as the bell rung, you would hear an ambulance sound. And we would go to the Titan Tron. We'll see on the screen an ambulance driving into the arena. And you know the old wrestling trope. Whoever got put in the back of an ambulance is usually the person driving the ambulance here. And so it's MJF. MJF would pop out of the ambulance. He has his right leg, thigh, like all taped up. He starts coming down to the ring. The crowd is losing their mind. Uh, you see backstage officials and security trying to stop MJF from going to the ring. MJF would tell them to get out of his way as he makes his way to the ring. And once he gets in there, Adam Cole hugs MJF. He tells him, You don't got to do this. Are you sure? MJF will say, Yeah, I'm sure. I want to do this. 
So MJF would face Jay White in the main event of Full Gear. And MJF would retain his championship by pinfall by hitting Jay White with the dynamite diamond ring when the referee was down. Uh, there was a moment when the referee was down and it was time for the dynamite diamond ring business. Jay White would at first have the dynamite diamond ring. He's going to hit MJF with it. MJF would low blow Jay White and take the ring off of him. That's when uh, Austin and Colton would try to get in and interrupt, but MJF would pop both of them in the head with it and then pop Jay and cover him for the win. This match here was something else. I think this match had MJF pulling out everything that he could do and also maintaining the character of being a wounded champion who's not trying to take any shortcuts, who's trying to beat their opponent by legit pinfall or submission. Because there was a moment in this match where MGF could have left Jay White outside of the ring and just took a ring count out, but he doesn't. And the moment that I'm talking about was when uh, Jay White's on the ring apron. He's tired. He's dazed. MJF, he would hit a running cutter. So MGF would run from inside the ring, outside the ring, grab Jay White, hit him with a cutter, and they both would land outside of the ring. So MJF, he's tired at this point. He's kind of weak down and Adam Cole would just shout more inspiration to MGF. MGF would get Jay White up, roll him into the ring. Nigel McGinnis would even make it on commentary and say, what is MJF doing? First time doing it, that's probably for fatigue, sure. But the second time, this is just plain stupid. MGF has been through enough tonight. He could easily take a count out like victory, but Adam Cole, he's been the guiding light for MGF. He's been that guy that's shown MGF that he can do this. He can be a better person. So MGF is trying to be a better person. Yes, he's still a scumbag, and he will still do scumbag Tennessee things, but he wants to actually win to prove that he is a fighting and deserving AEW champion. There was another spot in here where uh, MGF would try to put Jay White on the commentary table, the commentary table would break, and Taz would say the commentary table has been through a lot, that's the reason why it broke so easily, so Jay White, he's down on the ground outside, MJF, he would hop his injured butt into the ring, get on the top rope, and hit Jay White with the elbow drop from inside of the ring to outside of the ring onto the floor, and dude, that's a lot of dedication. I wouldn't do that. I would say, nope, we're going to put an audible and we're going to do something else. I'm not jumping from the top rope onto you on like as you're laying on the floor. That's just not happening. But that's the dedication to the game that MGF and Jay White both have. So kudos to both of these guys. Um, They put on a good match to end full gear. Everybody got their money's worth with this pay-per-view, in my personal opinion. Um, They didn't say when MGF will be facing off against Samoa Joe. After the pay-per-view, they probably said it on the press conference. I haven't watched the press conference. I probably will sometime this week. But, um, yeah, AEW Full Gear was a great show. I think we're probably going to get Samoa Joe versus MJF probably at World's End, as I said before. And that's when we'll probably see uh, the devil show himself and unmask himself. And that was one of the things that didn't happen here on Full Gear. There was no devil sighting there was no devil sighting there was no uh goon sighting there was nothing related to the devil 
on this pay-per-view, which kind of put me into a question mark. Like, why didn't they do it? I think they probably didn't do it because they probably thought that everybody would have wanted the person to be unmasked and they didn't want to, like, tease that to the people here. So if that's what they didn't want to do, and that's the reason why the mask guy or the devil didn't show up, I understand it. Fine, cool. But if it wasn't for that, hey, they will only know. So, as I said, hopefully by World's End, the next pay-per-view, we get to find out who the actual devil is, who's the guy underneath the devil mask, and uh, it will set up for what's going to happen in AEW in 2024. So, now, with all that being said, that was your AEW Full Gear 2023 review. Again, I like the show. People got their money's worth. I think that everybody on this card did excellent. Again, my biggest match to take away that I would like for everyone to see, unless you are squeamish, is the Texas Death Match between Heyman Page and Swerve and see how that is literally the match of the year for AEW. And uh, yeah, everything else, great job. New TBS champion, congrats to Julia Hart. And uh, new AEW Women's Champion, Tony Storm, congrats. And we still have Max as the AEW World Champion and we still got to figure out who the devil is. So we'll probably get all answers and more new storylines coming up on AEW Dynamite this Wednesday. So go watch Dynamite this upcoming Wednesday when it does happen. And I think that's about it. Now, if you didn't listen to my Sunday episode, which is out right now, which is called Accusations, you can go listen to that. And if you haven't listened to my midweek breakdown episode, it's available right now as well. So go listen to that as well. But as usual, I'll be back here next Saturday with my wrestling highlights of the week and also next Sunday I will be talking about Survivor Series because Survivor Series next week so expect that a review to come up next week as well so with that have a great Sunday or whatever day you listen to this have a great day be blessed and I'll speak to you guys later